Here we go. Okay, we're on the indictment watch. Here is the latest. As promised, Donald Trump has been indicted yet again. We said he was going to be indicted. Three new indictments on Thursday, but we got it wrong. It's not for January 6th. We're still waiting on those indictments. Trump was handed three more indictments Thursday for his mishandling of classified documents in Mar-a-Lago. Remember that trial? It's hard to keep track of all this, right? Trump, remember he violated the Espionage Act? Okay, how quickly we all forget. He was indicted on Thursday for ordering Mar-a-Lago employees to delete security footage that had been subpoenaed by the FBI. He was also indicted for showing classified war plans to strangers at his Bedminster Golf Club in New Jersey. If you remember, special counsel Jack Smith sent a letter to Donald Trump and his lawyers on the Sunday before last. He was informing the lawyers and Trump that Donald Trump is the target of an investigation into crimes associated with January 6th. Such a letter is normally followed. It's followed by an indictment and an arrest. But Jack Smith has yet to hand down those indictments. Instead, he has amped up the January 6th investigation, marching witnesses before the Washington, D.C. grand jury. Donald Trump said on social media Thursday that his attorneys met with Jack Smith early Thursday morning. Donald Trump's attorneys apparently had a very civil conversation with the special counsel, Jack Smith, trying to convince the Justice Department not to indict Trump for January 6th. Now, it is not unusual for a special counsel to meet with lawyers for the targeted subject right before handing down more indictments. And Trump, well, his lawyers got their wishes on Thursday. There were no <laughs> indictments for January 6th. Instead, three more indictments for mishandling classified documents in the Mar-a-Lago case down in Miami. So we were expecting indictments regarding January 6th, close to two weeks, right? Instead, Jack Smith delivered a feint, right, in boxing. Well, I and Trump's legal team, we were all looking at Washington, D.C. Smith sucker punched everyone with three new indictments down in Miami, where Trump has been charged with violating the Espionage Act. I don't know why I find that amusing. Trump has been uh, charged with violating the Espionage Act for his mishandling of classified documents. Now, while Trump and his attorneys were busy preparing for the January 6th indictment that's going to come any day now, Jack Smith on Thursday stunned Trump and his lawyers by saying, Oh, you think I forgot about the classified documents? No, 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 no. We're working on my clock, not your clock. This is my clock. And you know how Donald Trump likes to confuse everybody? Well, I'm going to confuse you guys because you thought it was going to be about January 6th. And I, here we go. I'm going to clock you. It's my clock and I'm going to clock you down in Miami with three more indictments on a case you almost completely forgot. Right. Trump was indicted. Thursday for trying to destroy Mar-a-Lago surveillance videos, surveillance videos, most probably of Mar-a-Lago employees moving boxes of classified documents. Now, the property manager 
of Mar-a-Lago, whose name is Carlos D. Oliveira. He was named Thursday as a co-defendant, and he will be arrested on Monday. Interesting, before becoming a property manager at Mar-a-Lago, Carlos D. Oliveira worked as one of Donald Trump's valets at Mar-a-Lago. Walt Nauta, Trump's valet, another valet, was also indicted, if you remember, back in June in this classified documents case. So it's when it comes to the classified documents, three people have been indicted. Donald Trump and his two valets. Not a good idea. If Trump wants to hire you as a valet, run. By the way, who's paying for Alviera's legal bills? Be curious. I know Walt Nauta's legal bills at first were being paid by Donald Trump's super PAC. We should find out who's paying uh, Oliveira's legal bills. I bet it's Trump's super PAC. So today, three new charges handed to Donald Trump for mishandling classified documents. He apparently attempted to destroy evidence. He's charged with conspiring and ordering someone to destroy evidence. And there's this new charge under the Espionage Act relating to Trump showing classified documents. He he showed a classified war plan to researchers working on Mark Meadows' autobiography. You remember the audio. We played it. It was released. You could hear Trump waving those classified documents, the war plan, in front of these researchers were in Mark Meadows' book, and there were some staffers, and they were sitting at the Bedminster Golf Club in New Jersey in direct violation of the Espionage Act. Well, he's now been charged for that. Not a good day for the former president. This brings the total number of charges against Trump for mishandling classified documents. I believe it's now 42. There are 32 counts for violating the Espionage Act. And then there's seven counts on varying degrees of obstruction of justice and three counts of making false statements. So we're still waiting for these indictments on January 6th. And a couple of you said, why are you swallowing the bait? Why do you have so much faith in special counsel Jack Smith? What about what about the Mueller investigation? Remember how you were hoping Well, here's the difference between Mueller, Robert Mueller and Jack Smith. Jack Smith's indicting Donald Trump. Robert Mueller was chicken shit, right? He was part of the patrician class. He was protecting Donald Trump in the office of the presidency, although he did in the Mueller report outline a pathway on how to uh, try Donald Trump for obstruction of justice. Part two of the Mueller report was just the breadcrumbs for a prosecution for obstruction of justice, but Attorney General Bill Barr decided to rewrite what Mueller said and not prosecute Trump for obstruction of justice because in our current Justice Department, there's a memo from the Office of Legal Counsel that says you can't prosecute a sitting president. That's the policy of the Justice Department, and Mueller was following that. So he didn't recommend indictments for Trump on Russiagate. This is different. The Justice Department doesn't have any memo that says you can't prosecute a former president. And Jack Smith, 42 indictments so far just on the classified 
documents case. Okay, so we are still waiting for these indictments on January 6th. It is different from Robert Mueller. We are now getting reports that the Washington, D.C. grand jury looking into Trump's election interference in the lead up to January 6th did convene on Thursday. Busy day for Jack Smith handing down indictments for the mishandling of classified documents down in Florida. And he was working hard in front of the grand jury in Washington, D on Washington, D.C. on Thursday, getting evidence for the role that Donald Trump played on January 6th. There is reporting now. the grand jury hearings are sealed. We're not supposed to know anything, but things leak out selectively. And there is reporting that special counsel Smith is focusing currently on meetings inside Donald Trump's Oval Office back in mid-December of 2020, right after the presidential election. This meeting included former General Michael Flynn. He was, I think, for 14 days. He was National Security Advisor, and then he had to step down because he lied to FBI agents about his conversations with Russians and uh, Trump pardoned him. The meetings included uh, former General Michael Smith, who was uh, Michael Flynn, who was freelancing, uh, his former attorney, Sidney Powell, who got hired on as outside counsel for Donald Trump to prove election fraud. And for some reason, the former CEO of Overstock.com, Patrick Byrne. For some reason, Patrick Byrne, who ran Overstock.com, had nothing to do when he began to finance. He was working with Lynn Wood, the attorney to drum up support for proving election fraud. Now, this was a big meeting in the Oval Office. According to several accounts of that meeting, the three of those people, uh, those three people, uh, General Michael Flynn, Sidney Powell, and the former CEO of Overstock.com, Patrick Byrne, they uh, assisted Donald Trump in drafting an executive order that would have the military seize voting machines in battleground states where Donald Trump lost to Joe Biden. Now, the executive order was never uh, implemented. It was just drafted. OK, that's what Jack Smith is looking into. There are now indications that Rudy Giuliani is prepared to turn on Donald Trump. Rudy is on trial in Georgia. He's got a lot of trials going on. He is on trial for defamation in Georgia because he spread lies about two election workers immediately after the 2020 presidential election. If you recall, two election workers have taken Rudy to court for defamation, claiming he falsely accused them a voter fraud while they were hard at work counting ballots inside Atlanta's State Farm Arena. These two election workers are an African-American mother and her daughter, and they were not making a lot of money. Rudy falsely accused them of pulling out a suitcase filled with phony ballots and adding those ballots to the count. After Rudy made the allegations publicly, those two women were barraged with death threats tinged with racist, not innuendo, racist threats, and they went into hiding. 
During a court filing, Rudy Giuliani this week conceded that he completely fabricated those accusations. He admitted that he had lied about these two women. He's done this a lot. He's lied about election fraud. And then when he's under oath or in court filings, he openly admits, I'm just lying. Same way with Sidney Powell, who has said repeatedly uh, under oath or when she's being investigated, I, I don't expect anybody to uh, believe me when I claim voter fraud. These are lawyers, right? All under investigation by their respective bar associations. So why am I talking about this? OK, because right now, Donald Trump is all alone. It's just Donald Trump and his two valets. Jack Smith, because of the election calendar, is going to cut off the head of the snake right now. He's not. I've pointed this out. He's not working his way up the food chain. He's going right for Donald Trump and he's getting everybody scared and they are flipping to save their ass. When these indictments come down for January 6th, it's going to be an open and shut case against Donald Trump because nobody, nobody, not a single associate of Donald Trump is going to claim that he didn't spread lies about voter fraud. Okay, this is really important. It really is. I want I cannot stress this enough in order to understand what the underlying crime that Donald Trump committed, the underlying crime that Donald Trump committed in the January 6th, the insurrection and the lead up to the uh, insurrection. The underlying crime is Trump knew he was lying. That is criminal intent. And I'm going to go over some things here with you. It's it is it is indefensible now. But when when this, these indictments come down, it will be impossible for Trump to defend himself when he says he did not have criminal intent. If Donald Trump knew he lost the 2020 presidential election, but lied to the American people, as well as the inferiors in the executive branch, as well as state election officials and Republican Party officials, that proves criminal intent. I've gone over this before. OK, if Donald Trump knew he lost, but still insisted that he had proof that he won, that's criminal intent that makes him subject to wire fraud for raising money on the Internet, telling donors he needs their cash to stop Biden from stealing the election. That's wire fraud. He is guilty of defrauding the United States government by orchestrating slates of phony electors. He is guilty of using his lawyers to instruct Republicans in seven key battleground states to forge documents 
to send counterfeit electoral college certificates to the National Archives, as well as Congress, to create the illusion that there were two slates of electors in those states for Congress to choose from on January 6th. It is illegal for anybody including the president of the United States, to instruct his own lawyers, as well as Republican Party officials, to mislead high-level party delegates to convene in the state capitals, seven state capitals, have them sign documents without telling them what they were signing. It is illegal to coerce loyal Republicans into participating in a phony elector scheme and not telling them that's what they were doing. It is against the law to knowingly lie in order to get people to help you steal an election. This prosecution, therefore, is predicated on understanding Donald Trump's state of mind. In law, it's called mens rea, which is Latin for criminal intent, mens rea. See, You pay a lot of money to go to law school in order to make future clients feel stupid so that they'll pay you whatever you end up charging them. So you call criminal intent mens rea. That adds an extra $300 an hour on your billing. Mens rea means guilty mind. Did Trump have a guilty mind? When these indictments come down, there will be incontrovertible evidence that Donald Trump had a guilty mind, had criminal intent. While Trump was screaming voter fraud, he had a guilty mind. He knew he was lying. And everybody who has gone before the grand jury, I can assure you, has told Jack Smith, everybody has assured Jack Smith that Donald Trump knew he was lying. It's why this investigation targets Donald Trump and Donald Trump alone. Nobody else got a target letter because they've all flipped. Jack Smith is going to prove that Donald Trump knew he lost, but went ahead anyway and pushed the voter fraud lie. He is guilty Guilty, therefore, of wire fraud, defrauding the American government, inciting a riot, an insurrection. He's guilty of preventing a government proceeding from taking place on January 6th. He's most certainly guilty of sedition, as well as endangering the lives of government officials, from the cops outside the Capitol, all the way to Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi. The list goes on and on and on. He violated the Hatch Act by politicizing the Justice Department when he attempted to appoint this guy, Jeffrey Clark, as his acting attorney general. He was going to make Sidney Powell a special counsel. He was going to hijack the entire Justice Department in direct violation of the Hatch Act and turn it into an instrument of reversing a presidential election under false pretenses because he knew, he knew he lost. He knew he lost. He lied and fought for his presidency anyway. Depriving U.S. officials and voters of their constitutional rights to have their votes counted or to serve as election officials, that is against the law.
Here is the thing you have to understand about criminal intent, a guilty mind, mens rea. When it comes to Donald Trump, I cannot stress this enough. Please listen to me on this. When you look at every single high level employee of the executive branch, when you look at every single and I mean every, every single employee who worked under Donald Trump, who was on a government salary, every single government employee in the executive branch, they all told Donald Trump he lost the election. Jack Smith has hauled all these people before the grand jury the same way the January 6th committee hauled all these people before Congress. They all testified that in the lead up to January 6th, they told Donald Trump he lost the election. That means Donald Trump by continuing to try to steal the election, had a criminal mind. By the time the Electoral College in mid-December mailed in their ballots to Congress, every, every single employee of the executive branch who had access to the president or had access to his immediate associates Every single employee of the executive branch, every single employee of the Trump White House told Donald Trump he lost and that the election was not stolen. Every single employee except Jeffrey Clark, Harvard Law, who felt You know, I went to Harvard Law and I'm not being appreciated. I'm just a low level attorney in the Justice Department. Jeffrey Clark met the president in December. He was introduced by Scott Perry, the congressman who ended up asking Donald Trump for a pardon. Uh, Perry identified Clark as the only guy in the Justice Department stupid enough to spread lies about election fraud. Nobody else in the Justice Department would do that. And that is why in the waning days of his presidency, right before January 6, Donald Trump tried to appoint Jeffrey Clark, Harvard Law, as acting attorney general because Jeffrey Clark, Harvard Law, was the only lawyer in the Justice Department willing to lie about voter fraud. If you want to establish Donald Trump's criminal intent, you need to understand why he didn't get to appoint Jeffrey Clark as acting attorney general. He was told by the then acting attorney general and the deputy attorney general that if you appoint Jeffrey Clark as acting attorney general, the entire Justice Department will resign in protest. High level attorneys in the department, in the Justice Department, when it became apparent 
that Donald Trump was going to name acting, name Jeffrey Clark as acting attorney general, high level attorneys in the Justice Department began drafting resignation letters because the entire Justice Department, Republicans, by the way, the entire Justice Department, except for this guy, Harvard Law's Jeffrey Clark, the entire Justice Department told Donald Trump there was absolutely no evidence of voter fraud. Nobody in the Justice Department except Jeffrey Clark said there was evidence of voter fraud. Attorney General Bill Barr, who saved Donald Trump's ass during the Mueller investigation, Attorney General Bill Barr, after the 2020 presidential election, resigned because Donald Trump kept telling him, find evidence of voter fraud. And Bill Barr, the servile Bill Barr, looked for voter fraud. But he said, I can't find any. He said it's, quote, unquote, bullshit. His replacement, Jeffrey Rosen, became acting attorney general in late December of 2020. He was asked to find voter fraud, but he told Donald Trump, we looked, there was no voter fraud. State election officials, Republican and Democrat, every secretary of state, everybody who was on the ground, in the battleground states, all told Trump and his lawyers when they were pressured, there is no evidence of voter fraud. Republicans and Democrats, nobody except for Jeffrey Clark, who worked for the executive branch, nobody who was a state election official, Republican or Democrat said we have proof of voter fraud. Nobody, nobody. There were people running for office who wanted to be secretaries of state in those battleground states. But the actual nobody, nobody. Rudy Giuliani openly admitted to associates. And while he was. Uh, losing 60 voter fraud cases in districts around America. He lost 60 voter fraud cases in the run up to January 6. Giuliani, every time he was asked for evidence, when he was under, when he was in court, he would say, and read the transcripts, he would say, Your Honor, there is no evidence of voter fraud. These are just theories. And then he'd go out in front of a bank of microphones and scream voter fraud. But Rudy Giuliani is demented and he is an alcoholic. Uh, he still knew not to tell a judge that he had evidence of voter fraud. But he would then lie immediately after and tell reporters he had evidence of voter fraud. He would testify before state legislatures with Jenna Ellis Another attorney being who was sanctioned by the Colorado State Bar. I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, when he testified urging state legislatures in the lead up to January 6th to overturn the elections, right? 
and uh, give it to Trump because there's voter fraud. When he was asked for evidence, he couldn't produce any. Never produced a shred of evidence. One of his lead voter fraud investigators, one of Rudy Giuliani's uh, lead voter fraud investigators is former New York City police commissioner and piece of shit. Ex-con Bernard Carrick, piece of shit. Bernard Carrick, who uh, went to prison for defrauding uh, Ground Zero uh, first responders using their hotel to have an affair, tax fraud. Uh, the police commissioner of New York City under Rudy Giuliani, Bernard Carrick, piece of shit. By definition, a piece of shit. Rudy brought him on to uh, prove voter fraud after the election. The best and the brightest, right? Even Bernard Carrick openly admitted, yeah, we're not finding any evidence. And then adding, uh, while there's no evidence, it's not about finding evidence. It's convincing people there's evidence. Sometimes even a piece of shit tells the truth. Bernard Carrick, look him up. Former police commissioner. If you were black in New York when Rudy was mayor, this is the guy who uh, ran the reign of terror for black people under Rudy Giuliani. Piece of shit. Did time and got pardoned by Donald Trump. Uh, Piece of shit. Did I mention he's a piece of shit? Everybody from Jared Kushner to Ivanka Trump, everyone employed by the White House, who was on the government payroll, told Donald Trump by mid-December he lost. Everybody, except one guy, Jeffrey Clark, Harvard Law. Only guy in, in, the Trump, in, the, in Trump's executive branch. Just one guy. Uh, some low-level attorney with a chip on his shoulder because he went to Harvard Law and nobody knew how smart he was. And he was going to become acting attorney general by spreading the lie of voter fraud, Jeffrey Clark. And that's why Donald Trump wanted to name him acting attorney general. I cannot stress this enough. If you want to know why Donald Trump is going to prison, it's because, and listen, this is different from the Mueller report. Mueller didn't indict Trump. We've got 42 indictments so far uh, from Jack Smith, just from the Mar-a-Lago case. OK, Donald Trump is going to prison because nobody who worked inside the White House, whose salary was paid by the government, nobody told Donald Trump there was fraud except for this guy, Jeffrey Clark, in the Justice Department. And, of course, maybe Donald Trump's White House chief of staff. I've talked about him. He's probably flipped already. He he is a self-server, Mark Meadows. And Mark Meadows, if you read 
but he's been saying it's he was he stuck with Donald Trump to the bitter end and lied about voter fraud with him. But to save his own ass, I guarantee you he's going to testify. He has already testified that, yes, he knew the voter fraud was a lie and I was just following I was just following orders. That's what he's going to say. And he's probably been given some kind of immunity. Uh, I don't think people understand how cornered Donald Trump is right now. He has nobody. Nobody. Because nobody else is getting an indictment. Nobody else got the target letter. Just Trump, which means everybody, Rudy, Mark, everybody, everybody is testifying against Trump to save their own ass. On November 17th, 2020, about two weeks after the presidential election, Homeland Security's director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, guy's name is Christopher Krebs was appointed by Donald Trump, Republican, Republican appointee. On November 17th, 2020, he stated publicly that the 2020 presidential election was one of the most secure and honest elections in modern American history. Donald Trump responded by firing him. That's not the narrative we're pushing here. There's been reporting earlier in the week, and I'm sure most of you have already read this. I'm just trying to contextualize it. And I want to explain to you why this story that you all know about is so important. It broke about two days ago. Most of you have heard about this February 14th, 2020 meeting in the Oval Office months before the presidential election. Donald Trump Now, just think about this for a second. Donald Trump was briefed in the Oval Office by the heads. We're proving criminal intent, just to review. That that there is nobody who told Donald Trump (laughs) that that the election was stolen from him. Not a single person employed by the government told him the election was stolen. Okay, so this on February 14th, 2020, months before the the presidential election, Donald Trump was briefed in the Oval Office by heads of the FBI, the uh, head of the Office of the Director of National Intelligence and Mr. Krebs, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency head. And Donald Trump was assured that they all could guarantee that the 2020 presidential election would be the most secure in modern history. They assured him that Russia and Vladimir Putin this time around wouldn't be able to interfere like they did in 2016. And that is not what Donald Trump wanted to hear. When they said Vladimir Putin can't interfere in the 2020 election, the way he did in 2016, a light went on in Donald Trump's feebled mind. Uh, he remembered that, wait a second, Russia 
interfering in our elections. That's a good thing. That's why I won. I believe he won partly because of Putin, partly. So after that meeting, he quickly realized, "Uh oh, I'm going to lose. So instead of walking out of that briefing and bragging and assuring the American people their votes would be counted, instead of saying, as your president, my first job is to guarantee the integrity of our elections, he instead began promoting election fraud. Now, think about a sitting president starting to accuse the uh, the government of election fraud. Like he's in charge of the, he's saying, I'm your president. Uh, we're coming up on nearly four years of me being in charge. And as your president, I cannot guarantee the integrity of these elections. I, I'm incompetent. I can't protect your vote which is why I should be reelected no matter what, because they're going to try to steal the election from me. Who? You're in charge. Right. But he's saying election fraud. Uh, So he began pushing voter fraud in the spring of 2020. But what was going on in 2020? He had shit the bed on covid and he knew he wasn't getting reelected. He completely shit the bed on COVID. So he immediately began saying, the only way I'm going to lose is if there's voter fraud. Months before the presidential election, he convened a voter fraud working group. I think John Eastman was, I'm not sure, but I think it was John Eastman, the attorney. Uh, John Eastman was brought in to start preparing legal briefs to get, get ahead of the election, to start preparing legal briefs briefs challenging the results, proving election fraud. This is like, I think, in August, right? So you have the state of the mind of the president. He knew there was no such thing as voter fraud. He knew the elections were secure, but he wanted to steal the election. So he spread the lie about voter fraud. I cannot stress this enough. Nobody in the government, no election officials in Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New Mexico, Nevada, not a single government official, state, local or federal, who was charged with counting the votes, Republican or Democrat, not a single one of them called the White House and said, hey, you know, You know, there's voter fraud here. Nobody on the ground ever alerted Trump and his campaign of voter fraud. So where did the evidence of voter fraud come from? Donald Trump's criminal mind. He could not find anybody in Homeland Security, the FBI, his own White House, except maybe for Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, He couldn't find anyone in the Justice Department except for Jeffrey Clark. We know he found Jeffrey Clark, Harvard Law, to say there was election fraud. So who, I said, nobody in the government, nobody on the government payroll was claiming voter fraud. So who was claiming voter fraud? 
Well, Jeffrey Clark, the uh, the only lawyer paid by the government, Jeffrey Clark is the only lawyer paid by the government who claimed voter fraud. The rest were Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, Patrick Byrne, the former head of Overstock.com, the disgraced General Michael Flynn, who needed a pardon from Donald Trump. They weren't, they were freelancing for Donald Trump. They weren't working for the government. And the rest, who was claiming voter fraud? Who were the rest? Lawyers. Not working for the White House, not really working for the Republican National Committee. They were brought into the White House by Donald Trump. And they were paid, if they were paid, by dark money super PACs who had nothing to do with the United States government. Anybody who worked for the government or was on the uh, Republican National Committee's payroll, they, they said no voter fraud. It was entirely dreamed up by Donald Trump. Know these names because none of these people were working for the government. These are the people who used their authority to convince, try to convince uh, millions of Americans that there was voter fraud. General Michael Flynn, crackpot. Obama warned Donald Trump. He said, don't make him national security advisor. He's out of his mind. Uh, Michael Flynn, General Michael Flynn, who was gunning for a pardon in December, he helped Trump draft an executive order that would have seized the voting machines. The military would have gone in to seize the voting machines. He didn't work for the government. He was trying to get a pardon. The former head of Overstock.com, Patrick Byrne, he you know needed something to do with his time and money. So he was instrumental in ginning up this voter fraud theory. He was working with lawyers like Lynn Wood down in Georgia, also Marjorie Taylor Greene's attorney, Sidney Powell, General Michael Flynn's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, we know him, John Eastman, Ginny Thomas and Clarence Thomas's friend, Kenneth Cheesebro, Harvard Law, and of course, Clarence Thomas's wife, Ginny. All these lawyers working for Trump were the ones out there spreading the election fraud lie. But they weren't working for the government. They were working for the National Republican National Committee. They weren't even working for Trump's campaign. By, by late December, the campaign manager for Trump's 2020 presidential election, Bill Stepien, quit. He called Trump's claims of voter fraud dishonest and wanted, wanted nothing to do with it. Voter fraud, the lie, came from the feeble minds of a handful of attorneys and crackpots like General Michael Flynn, Patrick Byrne from uh, Overstock.com, and the bastion of sanity, Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy, the former crack addict, who uh, is going broke. Going broke because he's giving all his money 
to Donald Trump. So when it when it, when these indictments come down, special counsel Jack Smith, who has marched all these people, including Mark Meadows, the White House chief of staff, before the Washington, D.C. grand jury, they have all been forced to testify under oath when these indictments come down. Donald Trump is all alone. Ivanka's gone. Jared's gone. They all testified that we told him he lost. Jack Smith is going to have no problem convincing a jury of Donald Trump's criminal state of mind that he knowingly tried to overturn the 2020 presidential elections by any means necessary committing fraud knowingly because he knew voter fraud never existed. And everyone who knew the truth told him so, which forced him to look outside the government, outside the White House, outside the Republican National Committee to find lawyers who are trained to take any case if the money or prestige is right. Rudy wasn't getting paid. He was working for prestige. And this is what confused. This is why these lawyers are so screwed, because they forgot what a lawyer is supposed to do. See, lawyers are trained to make whatever case has to be made. Right. When you when you take debate class, you know, you flip a coin. I'm going to be pro. You're going to be con. Make the best case you possibly can can. And normally, uh, lawyers are indemnified when they defend the indefensible. There's a great lawyer named Tom Mesro, great guy. And he will defend Michael Jackson, Danny Masterson, because it is the job of a defense lawyer to poke holes in the government's case because everybody deserves a defense attorney. Even guilty people deserve an attorney. O.J. Simpson was entitled to defense lawyers, and it was their job, and they succeeded. It was their job to provide just enough doubt, just enough doubt to the jury, proving that the Los Angeles Police Department plants evidence, which they do. His dream team was able to prove that the L.A. police persecute African-Americans, which they do. And by persecuting African-Americans, I mean shooting unarmed black men in the back or beating Rodney King to a pulp. Uh, it was the job of O.J. Simpson's attorneys to prove that the L.A. police department is riddled with racist detectives like Mark Furman, who spew the N-word the same way you and I say uh and um. It is the job of a defense lawyer to defend anyone. But it is not the job of Kenneth Cheesebro, Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, John Eastman, Sidney Powell. It is not the job of lawyers to assist their client in committing fraud. What we have, this is why this trial is so fascinating to me. What we have are 
lawyers, guilty lawyers. And I hate lawyers. I hate 90% of American lawyers. Well, we have a Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, John Eastman, Jeffrey Clark, Lynn Wood, and Kenneth Cheesebro working off a legal theory in search of evidence. And they couldn't find any evidence because every single state and local election official, Republican, Democrat, said no evidence of fraud. But that didn't stop these demented lawyers from assisting Donald Trump in building a phony case for election fraud. They, they forgot what the role of a lawyer is. You know, it is the role of a lawyer to defend the indefensible in a trial, but not help a client commit a crime. It's why Lynn Wood surrendered his law license this year so he wouldn't be disbarred. It's why Rudy's law license has been suspended in D.C. and New York. Probably, maybe, it's going to be revoked. It's why John Eastman's trial before the California State Bar is going on right now. It's why the D.C. Bar is trying to uh, disbar Jeffrey Clark. And it's why Sidney Powell faced disciplinary proceedings in Texas where she said she didn't think anybody was going to believe her when she pushed voter fraud. It's why in March of this year, Jenna Ellis, also one of Donald Trump's attorneys, it's why she was censured by the chief disciplinary judge of the Colorado Supreme Court, where she lives and is licensed to practice law. In her own testimony during the disciplinary hearings, Jenna Ellis admitted, confessed to being reckless and confessed to acting out of self selfish motives by misrepresenting in public the facts surrounding the 2020 presidential election. And she was sanctioned for claiming Trump won by a landslide. She was sanctioned for claiming publicly and in courts of law that Democrats in Nevada, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia stole the election from Donald Trump. And after all these sanctions... What was her punishment? What did the Colorado bar? How did they sanction her? A two hundred and twenty four dollar fine. That's it. I believe she still gets to practice law. And immediately after the censure, after paying that hefty two hundred and twenty four dollar fine, she went out and told the press that she never admitted before the disciplinary board that she was reckless she told the press, I, I never admitted to lying. The same way Rudy Giuliani, when he's before a judge, will, will say, I have no evidence of voter fraud, Your Honor. And then immediately after, go out and tell the media, I, I have so much evidence of voter fraud, you're going to get a hernia trying to pick it up. Uh, we have a problem with lawyers. Jenna Ellis, for all the damage she's done to our democracy, Colorado fines her $224. We have a problem with 90% of the lawyers. The problem is the Bar Association that disciplines lawyers, 
is run by lawyers. You know, uh, Jenna Ellis, professional Christian from Colorado, anti-abortion, pro-gun, anti-LGBTQ+. Remember the uh, Club Q shootings? Remember that gay bar in Colorado last year, the mass shooting? Uh, after that mass shooting, uh, Jenna Ellis blamed it on the victims, on the gay men and the drag queens for not taking Jesus into their lives. These are good people. And by good people, I mean the dregs, or as Hillary would call them, the deplorables. Here is the thing about Donald Trump's claim of voter fraud. Jack Smith has him dead to rights. He and only he invented the claim of voter fraud. Only Donald Trump. This is he has a long history of claiming voter fraud when he didn't win an Emmy for The Apprentice. He said <laughs> the Emmys that it was voter fraud at the Emmys. He lost the Iowa caucuses, the first election in, in 2016, the Iowa caucuses. He lost to Ted Cruz. He claimed voter fraud. This is his go to. He invented the whole 2020 voter fraud idea came out of his mind and his mind alone. And he is all alone tonight. Nobody. He doesn't have Ivanka or Jared. He's got his idiot son, Don Jr. That's it. That's it. He invented voter fraud and then looked for lawyers Jenna Ellis, Rudy Giuliani, Kenneth Cheesebro, Lynn Wood, Jeffrey Clark, and Sidney Powell to make his case of voter fraud based on no evidence. Those claims of voter fraud came out of Donald Trump's criminal mind. And I cannot stress this enough. When Jack Smith puts Trump on trial, he is going to parade everyone before the jury and they are all going to testify under oath that they told Donald Trump voter fraud was non-existent. Nobody, even his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, is going to say, I, I show Donald Trump proof of voter fraud or I assured him there was voter fraud. Just this guy who's currently... They're trying to strip him of his law license right now. Harvard Law's Jeffrey Clark is the one guy in the Justice Department who claimed to have evidence of voter fraud again. And that is why Donald Trump wanted to appoint him acting attorney general. And you know what his evidence was? He had proof that the Chinese were using satellites to hack thermostats and alter the uh, the Dominion voting machines. That was Jeffrey Clark's big uh, theory about voter fraud, that it was the Chinese uh, hacking thermostats to alter Dominion voting machines. He's the only, only government employee of the executive branch 
who pushed voter fraud. Only one. And he's going to hem and haw. Uh, I don't see him being indicted. He's going to, to get out of doing time, he's going to say, yeah, there was no evidence. And uh, I do recall at times telling Donald Trump that there was no evidence. Beyond a reasonable doubt, Jack Smith is going to prove to a jury that nobody ever told Donald Trump there was evidence of fraud. Nobody. Nobody came out of Donald Trump's criminal mind, and that proves criminal intent. Now, here's the thing. How am I doing on time? Okay, I'm going to wrap it up. Here's the thing we have to remember. Donald Trump invented voter fraud, the lie of voter fraud, in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election, as well as in the lead up to the January 6th insurrection. It came out of one mind and one mind only. Donald Trump's, which is why he's going to prison, because nobody is going to testify on his behalf and say there was voter fraud. We believed there was voter fraud. We were wrong. But at one time we thought there was voter fraud. We saw some Nobody is going to say it was an honest mistake. They are all going to say we were following Donald Trump's orders to prove voter fraud where none existed. He is all alone this morning, all alone. It's crumbling around. Him. And this is different. This is different than Mueller. Because Mueller, unlike Jack Smith, didn't indict. Okay? He is all alone. And don't forget Fannie Willis in Fulton County, Georgia, is about to indict him. The barricades are up in Fulton County, which is a sign that they're prepared for protests, which means she's going to indict Donald Trump for election interference. In Georgia. Remember that call to the Secretary of State of Georgia, Raffsenberger? But here's the thing Donald Trump didn't invent false claims of voter fraud. That's been part of the Republican Party's DNA since George W. Bush. Republicans have made voter fraud the lie of voter fraud. The cornerstone of their attempts to steal elections going all the way back to then Florida Governor Jeb Bush trying to steal the 2000 election for his brother, George W. Bush. This is in the Republican DNA, false claims of voter fraud. And it started with this POS, Jeb, exclamation point. Please applaud. Jeb, the brother of George W., son of George Herbert Walker Bush. And don't forget George Herbert Walker Bush before becoming vice president, uh, served as the head of the CIA. Uh, that gives you an idea of what 
the Bush family thinks about voting. Uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, president, the first President Bush, was the son of a United States senator. And they were lo- they are loyal Americans. They are. Uh, they, they come from these are these are financiers who've been here forever and they believe in America. But they also believe that they're members of the patrician class and they don't believe Americans can be trusted with the vote. They like the idea of democracy. They just don't think everybody should vote, especially black people, especially people of color, especially poor people. They believe in democracy. They believe everybody should vote if you're the right person. We're talking the Bush family, uh, Yale, Skull and Bones, and they are willing to die for this country. They're willing to die. Unlike the Trumps, they're willing to die for America, but they don't believe everyone should vote. This is these are the patricians. Bill Buckley, another Yaley with CIA connections. Bill Buckley served as the intellectual motherboard for American conservatism. And Buckley famously wrote in his opposition to the Civil Rights Act of 64 and 65 that black people cannot be trusted yet with the vote. He, it's in writing. Black people uh, aren't ready to have their vote secured. That's what the patricians believe. Uh, Buckley, George Herbert Walker Bush deep ties to the CIA. So they were no strangers to overturning election results around the world when voters chose against an American puppet in places like Chile, Iran, South Vietnam, the Dominican Republic, Haiti, or the Congo. You grow up with a dad who ran the CIA. Uh, you know how to change an election overseas. And What I keep telling you is what we do overseas, we end up doing back home. And Jeb Bush knew how to throw the Florida election for his brother. And he slept as a patrician, as the son of a CIA head, he slept soundly at night. He was raised in a patrician family who, you know, we have to protect America from itself. Not everybody should vote, especially black people in Florida. And that's why here in America, you need to know the difference between voter fraud and voter suppression. There is voter suppression, but there is no voter fraud. Voter suppression is accomplished by spreading the lie of voter fraud. If you convince enough people that there's voter fraud, you can suppress the vote by insisting on things like voter ID. Okay. America, well, we've been suppressing the vote, especially the black vote down in Florida, especially since Lincoln freed the slaves. It's not this is not something new in America. It's what we've been doing. First, we didn't allow black people to vote. And then when Lincoln freed the slaves, uh, 
we began suppressing, making it impossible for black people to vote in the South. See, Republicans need to suppress the vote because their positions are unpopular. We really don't like it's why they have to gerrymander. And uh, it's why uh, they have to suppress the vote, because nobody really likes Republicans. And that's why only one Republican presidential candidate has won the popular vote since 1988. If you look at every presidential election, going back to after 1988, only one Republican presidential candidate won the popular vote. George W. Bush. That's it. And in 2004, we were in the middle of a war. And uh, back then, Americans still uh, rallied around the president during a war. Uh, It's the only time since 1988 that a Republican won the popular vote because Americans don't like what Republicans stand for and they don't like what Republicans end up doing to the country. Every time you elect a Republican president, it's a disaster. And Republicans know this. So they need to suppress the vote. And how do they do it? By creating the phony threat of voter fraud to justify voter suppression. You can't suppress the vote unless you convince enough people that voter fraud is a real thing which it's not. Jeb Bush was the governor of Florida back in 2000, and he knew he couldn't get the vote out for his brother, right? What he could do is not get the vote out in black districts, suppress the black vote. And in 2000, down in Florida, black people couldn't vote. Thanks to Jeb Bush, he and his secretary of state, I think her name was Catherine Harris or Kathleen Harris. uh, They hired an outside firm from Texas. uh, Where W was governor, uh, an outside firm from Texas, they were brought in to scrub the voter rolls before the 2000 presidential election because voter fraud. Right. We have to we have to make. Election integrity. Let's bring in an outside firm from Texas. This is all about election integrity. And they're going to scrub the voter rolls in Florida before the 2000 election. And what these criminals did, these fascists, these racists did, is they began looking for anyone living in a predominantly black voting district who had a black name. Right. If your last name was Washington Roosevelt, those kind of names. They would look uh, for anyone in a predominantly black voting district, a Democratic district, and they would look for people with black names and they would scrub them. They would just erase them from the voting rolls. And they would say, well, this is, you know, there, there are two uh, Roger Washingtons. They would look for another Roger Washington and they would scrub both of them as duplicates. Right. Uh, I can assure you that there are more than six or 60 Bill Washingtons in Florida who are black. 
get them off the voting rolls. Right. And, and, you know, and you're you're indemnified because you're saying, well, we thought these were duplicates. We thought this was voter fraud. We had no idea that there could be 60 black men named Bill or William Washington. That's how you get rid of 60 black votes right there. Uh, On election day. uh, Black people showed up and they couldn't vote. And again, they've been doing this to black people down in Florida since Reconstruction. Now, we know the state of Florida's prison system is disproportionately filled with people of color. And back in 2000, if you were an ex-convict, it was really hard to vote next to impossible. So what Jeb Bush and this Texas firm did is they began scrubbing Anybody who lived in a predominantly black district, Democratic district, anyone who had a black sounding last name that was identical to someone with a prison record, you got scrubbed from the voting rolls. Right. If there was a black guy named David Feldman could happen. If there was a black guy named David Feldman living in a predominantly black voting district and there was a David Feldman who once served time or was in prison, they would scrub that other David Feldman from the voting rolls. Uh, That's how Jeb Bush tried to help his brother win Florida in 2000. Uh, That's how Jeb Bush rigged the election in Florida in 2000 all under the guise of election integrity. Uh, Because you can't say, you can't admit that you don't want black people to vote. Can't say if we allow black people to vote, Republicans, my brother's going to lose. No, what you do is you make up this phony issue of voter fraud, that you do this under the cover of voter fraud. And you convince a lot of stupid white people And there are many. I don't know if you know that, but uh, there are a lot of uh, stupid white people in Florida. You convince them that black people, people of color, poor people down in Florida, Democrats, they are voting six, seven, 20 times. They're just going from precinct to precinct and voting, committing election fraud. And we we need. We need election integrity. We need to scrub the rolls. There's no evidence ever since 1948 uh, in America. There are a thousand cases of voter fraud. One thousand since 1948. You know, somebody voting twice or somebody has a grandmother or a wife who died and you fill out their ballot and mail it in 1000. They've been able to prove voter fraud since 1948, 1000 times. There's no problem with voter fraud in America. And uh, but that's how Jeb Bush. That's this is where it began. The lie of voter fraud to suppress the vet, the black vote. Right. 
this is where it began in Florida under Jeb Bush, the year 2000. They introduced this notion of voter fraud. Convince people that we have to show an ID in order to vote. By the way, to give you an idea of how unpopular George W. Bush was, if you remember, uh, he lost the popular vote. People forget that in 2000. He won the Electoral College, right? But he lost the popular vote because Americans, as stupid as we are, we still see through these charlatans. Here's the thing that nobody will tell you about Florida. Uh, Even with all the votes, the black votes that Jeb Bush succeeded in scrubbing from the voter rolls, Al Gore still won Florida. Uh, That's how unpopular George W. Bush was in Florida. They spent all this money to keep black people from voting in 2000 down in Florida. And Al Gore still won Florida big time. They don't tell you this. The Miami Herald and a group of other newspapers in Florida, a a consortium of newspapers, uh, went to court and they got their hands on all the ballots and they worked with uh, the, the state of Florida and they sat down and they counted every vote. Uh, by December of 2001, a year after Al Gore conceded to George W. Bush, this consortium of news organizations down in Florida concluded conclusively that Gore beat Bush decisively. But that was December of 2001. By then, the World Trade Center had come down and George W. Bush was busy launching an illegal global war on terror. And he had a night. What was it? Ninety one percent approval rating. Everybody, I have to admit, even I was rooting for him. After 9-11, nobody wanted to hear that George W. Bush was an illegitimate president. But had there been a statewide recount in Florida, Gore would have beaten George W. Bush handily. Even though Jeb kicked all those black people off the voting rolls, Al Gore still won. And Gore would have been president, but he thought foolishly that he could outsmart and outclass George W. Bush and the Republicans. Gore, you know, Harvard. Well, so was George W. Bush and Yale. But uh, Gore surrounded himself with the great minds and they said, you know what? Let's be cute by half and only demand recounts in the counties where we know we can win. Don't don't ask for a statewide recount. Let's just get let's just harvest votes in the counties where we know we can win. And that's how he blew it, because it's a hard lift in the courts and in the court of public opinion to ask for recounts in specific districts where, you know, you're going to win. Uh Gore didn't want all the votes counted. He didn't fight for that. Had he fought for the entire state of Florida, 
to get a recount. It would have been difficult in the court of public opinion, and it would have been difficult for the Supreme Court to stop the voting, to stop the counting of the votes. But he wasn't courageous or noble enough. Al Gore wasn't noble enough to say, hey, why don't we just count all the votes? If he said, let's count all the votes, I I think it would have been harder for the Supreme Court to have stopped that. But he thought he was smarter than Bush, which he is, which is why he lost. The Republicans don't try to outsmart people. They use brute force. Remember the Brooks Brothers riot? And they use corruption. They had Antonin Scalia write the decision awarding the election to Bush. Republicans don't care about being smart. They only care about winning. Right? So it all started, voter fraud, the lie of voter fraud, started with George W. Bush and Jeb Bush in Florida in the lead up to the 2000 election. Let's spread the lie about voter fraud to justify a phony push for election integrity that scrubs black people, poor people, people of color from the voting rolls. And when George W. Bush became president, he really he and Karl Rove really began to focus on spreading the lie of voter fraud. Did you know that they lie? Did you know that about George W. Bush? He lies. Uh, he tells some other lies. I can't. Well, there were some other lies he told. Wasn't he the guy who said that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction? Is he, was he the guy? Uh, was he, the, he was the guy who said, I forgot, he said that Saddam Hussein was behind 9-11, right? Yeah. I think, think that's the guy, George W. Bush. I think he's a, an effing liar. And so they spread the lie of voter fraud. Karl Rove wanted to make it harder for Americans to vote. Poor Americans, black Americans. They wanted Americans to show ID, jump through hoops. I mean, they... This is like they wanted to bring back poll taxes, essentially, you know, uh, to make it harder for black people to vote. Because when you make it hard to vote, you're more likely going to discourage poor people, especially people of color, from showing up. But in order to get those voter IDs and make it hard for people to vote, you have to convince enough stupid white people that voter fraud exists, which it doesn't. So here's what Karl Rove did. And this was a big investigation in, I believe it was 2006. Karl Rove politicized the Justice Department. He weaponized the Justice Department. Where have we heard that before? They politicized the Justice Department. It was a scandal. It almost led to the resignation of Alberto Gonzalez. It almost led to a uh, to criminal charges. Carl uh, Rove, in order to help build the lie that voter fraud exists in order to justify states passing voter ID laws in 2006, Carl Rove and George W. Bush 
politicized the Justice Department and urged lawyers in the Justice Department to begin prosecuting voter fraud, especially in states like New Mexico, even though there was absolutely no voter fraud in New Mexico. Republican Senator Pete Domenici wanted to suppress the vote in New Mexico because nobody liked him. Right. So he insisted there was voter fraud in New Mexico to help him get reelected. He, along with Karl Rove, pushed the Justice Department to invent the idea of voter fraud in New Mexico so that New Mexico could then have a, a reason to pass voter ID laws that would suppress the votes of people of color. But there was a little problem when the federal attorney assigned to New Mexico, his name was David. I think it's David Iglesias. I think that's his name. I actually met him. David Iglesias was the U.S. attorney for New Mexico. And he said, I'm not prosecuting voter fraud. It doesn't exist. There's no evidence. Alberto Gonzalez, the attorney general under Bush, lapdog, Bush lapdog, fired David Iglesias because he wouldn't pursue false claims of voter fraud. Right. It didn't start with Trump. It started under George W. Bush. This was the conclusion of the Justice Department's inspector general. The, the inspector general of the Justice Department concluded that Karl Rove and George W. Bush and Alberto Gonzalez, the attorney general, had politicized the Justice Department by forcing attorneys to prosecute phony cases claiming voter fraud. There's your weaponization of the Justice Department. There's your politicization of the Justice Department. Uh, Bush wanted to pass voter ID laws, but he needed to convince stupid white Republicans that voter fraud was real. So he pressured federal attorneys to prosecute phony claims of voter fraud when they wouldn't do it. They fired them. David Iglesias got fired because he wouldn't go along with the lie of voter fraud. By the way, Senator Pete Domenici, Republican who wanted these phony prosecutions of voter fraud in New Mexico so he could end up suppressing the vote in New Mexico. He got a slap on the wrists from the Senate Ethics Committee for playing politics with the Justice Department. And when he wasn't playing politics with the Justice Department, Pete Domenici was playing around on his wife. Uh, he was, you know, a family guy. You know. Republican. Right. But he cheated on his wife. I love this story. This is very satisfying to me. Uh, Domenici be became a senator back in the 70s, and he got uh, very close to the daughter of Nevada Senator Paul Laxalt, another wonderful Republican, also Ronald Reagan's best friend. So these are good Republicans, good family men. So Senator Laxalt, Republican, his daughter, became a lobbyist on Capitol Hill because Republicans need to drain the swamp and uh, 
Pan, uh, Senator Pete Domenici also wanted to drain something else. Uh, Senator Laxalt's daughter started to lobby Senator Pete Domenici. And uh, she lobbied Senator Pete Domenici hard, really, really hard. Uh, she lobbied him so hard that he became hard and she ended up having his bastard. The conservative Republican, Pete Domenici, Mr. Family Values with his nine children, fathered a bastard with the daughter of Republican Senator Paul Laxalt. So to keep the bastard secret, Paul Laxalt's daughter, who was carrying Pete Domenici, Senator Pete Domenici's bastard son, she decided she would give her bastard son the last name Laxalt, since her last name was Laxalt. She decided not to name her bastard after the father, Senator Pete Domenici, because he had nine other kids and was a conservative Republican family values man. And so nobody ever discovered that Senator Pete Domenici of New Mexico fathered a bastard because Pete Domenici, Republican senator, was cheating on his wife. The bastard son of Pete Domenici is named Adam Laxalt. This bastard took the name of his grandfather, Senator Paul Laxalt. Uh... Uh, he didn't take the name of his bastard father, Senator Pete Domenici. He took the name of his bastard grandfather, Senator Paul Laxalt, who served as Nevada's uh, senator. Right. So Adam Laxalt uh, went into politics. Right. This bastard served as Nevada's bastard attorney general from 2015 until 2019. The bastard then ran for Senate in 2022. Do you remember this bastard? Do you remember this bastard, Adam Laxalt? Uh, he ran, this bastard ran as a Republican trying to unseat the Democratic incumbent, Catherine Cortez Masto, who is not a bastard, by the way and has fathered no bastard children. Adam Laxalt, who is a bastard, lost in uh, 2022. He, uh, Laxalt opposes same-sex marriage. He's anti-abortion. He's in the pocket of ExxonMobil, denies climate change, uh, opposes Obamacare, and this bastard is opposed to helping the dreamers. He doesn't support DACA, Adam Laxalt. You could say he's a bastard. And when it comes to perpetuating the lie of voter fraud, Adam Laxalt, this bastard, is just like his bastard father, this guy, Pete Domenici. Remember Pete Domenici? He was sanctioned by the Senate Ethics Committee for pressuring the Justice Department into prosecuting phony election fraud accusations to build a political case for passing more voter ID laws that make it harder for blacks and poor people to vote. His bastard son, Adam Laxalt, 
he was all in on Donald Trump's phony claims of election fraud after the 2020 presidential election. Immediately after Nevada was called for Trump, Adam Laxalt, bastard, immediately claimed voter fraud with absolutely no evidence. But he insisted that 200,000 mail-in ballots could not be verified, even though that later got proven to be a lie. What a bastard. The Republican Secretary of State for Nevada conducted a thorough investigation into allegations of voter fraud. She is a Republican Secretary of State in Nevada, and she was pressured into looking into voter fraud. People like the bastard Adam Laxalt presented 4,000 cases of voter fraud. Remember, he said there there were 200,000 mail-in ballots that were all fraudulent. Well, he could only find 4,000 cases of voter fraud when it came time to actually investigate it. And uh, the Nevada... Republican Party brought these 4,000 cases to the Republican Secretary of State of Nevada. And she said that only 20 cases rose to the level of suspicious activity with possibly one case maybe kind of accidentally rising to the level of voter fraud. Maybe one case. Because voter fraud in America doesn't exist. Nevada's Republican Secretary of State, her name is Barbara Sagoski. She said, no evidence of voter fraud. So what did Republicans do in Nevada? The Nevada Republican Party voted to censure her for calling the election legitimate. False claims of voter fraud, nothing new. Republicans have been falsely claiming voter fraud since 2000 to justify suppressing the vote. One of the very first things Donald Trump did when he was elected, well, he wasn't elected president, but when he became president, one of the first things he did was establish a voter fraud commission. Remember that? 2017. He was barely president. He immediately established a voter fraud commission and he hired all the Chris Kobach. He was going to he hired all these Republicans. And finally, they were going to have proof of voter fraud because that was always the problem for Republicans that they claimed voter fraud. But there was never any evidence. So Donald Trump was going to put an end to this problem by establishing through executive order a voter fraud commission, the Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity Commission. He had just lost the popular vote to Hillary Clinton. He won the Electoral College. And it really bothered him that he lost the popular vote in 2016. And he lied. He said he actually won the popular vote because millions of illegal ballots had been cast by undocumented immigrants flooding the border. And uh, he 
had no evidence to support this. this he invented the, these voter fraud lies. But the Republicans since 2000 have been claiming voter fraud. So he figured, let's set up a voter fraud commission and we will make it. We will have proof that voter fraud exists. Uh, a year later, 2018, the commission was shut down. Why? They couldn't provide a single shred of evidence of voter fraud. Not one. In announcing that he was shutting down the voter fraud commission, Donald Trump said uh, voter fraud is a serious problem. And the commission found evidence of voter fraud, even though he had to shut it down because it, it found no evidence. Facts don't matter. Uh, the truth doesn't matter. I want to talk before I wrap this up about stupidity. Uh, a lot of people don't like me calling Republicans stupid. Well, my definition of stupidity is willful ignorance. Donald Trump is stupid. He's ignorant. He's evil. And he knows how to either manipulate other stupid people or make people stupid. You become stupid. Nobody's born stupid. You become stupid. Countries become stupid. Donald Trump is stupid. He doesn't read. He watches television, Fox News and Newsmax. Read about his presidency. The, the, the daily briefing from the CIA. He didn't read. He didn't read anything. If it wasn't on an index card, it didn't go into his brain. He's stupid. A long time ago, Donald Trump realized that when dealing with stupid people, and there are a lot of them, uh, bluster is more convincing than facts. You can get more from stupid people with bluster than you can with evidence. He gravitates towards stupid people and stupid people gravitate towards Donald Trump. And they become dumber. People of substance see right through Donald Trump. It's why I'm from New York. Little partial here, but we don't vote for Donald Trump because, except Staten Island, but people in New York City, we we're kind of smart, and we know who Donald Trump is. That's why he doesn't win in New York, so he stays away from people of substance. There are, however, enough stupid people in America who will choose bluster over facts. And Donald Trump figures, well, let's choose the path of least resistance, cater to stupid people with bluster, keep repeating lies, no matter what the facts are, no matter what the evidence are, bluster your way through it. It works. Works if you're a real estate developer. Lie. Just Keep repeating the lie. I had the greatest economy of any president. It was the worst since Herbert Hoover 
and the Great Depression. Worst economy, that's the fact. But you keep saying it's the greatest economy ever. Stupid people believe you because they don't rely on facts and evidence. They go with bluster. I did a great job on COVID. America had the highest death rate per capita. Highest death rate per capita when it came to COVID. I won in 2020. Well, we know that's a lie, but it doesn't matter. Just keep repeating the lie. He is a stupid man. And everyone around him is either stupid or becomes stupid because everyone he touches becomes stupid. And I find that fascinating. So I'm, I'm obsessed, as you can tell, with the Trump presidency. Uh, I find it fascinating. What doesn't fascinate me is the millions upon millions of stupid people who believe Trump. That doesn't surprise me because America has always had incredibly stupid people. What's fascinating to me is the number of highly credentialed, somewhat educated Republicans who, before falling under Trump's spell and becoming stupid, they possessed a respect for norms. They kind of knew they were immoral, but they also knew there was a line you don't cross, right? Uh, before Trump, there were Republicans, like the Bush family, who never allowed their real bigotry and contempt for democracy and marginalized groups they never allowed that to completely rise to the surface. Even the Gipper, who was a racist, his own son, Ron Jr., says, you know, by, I, he said, I love my dad, but he was a racist. Watch that Showtime special. I really like Ron Jr. Uh, Trump is different. Trump is different. Uh, before Trump, Republicans kept it under control. They knew racism. They knew they were racist, but they knew it was unseemly. Trump made it okay. He gave the entire party and a large swath of Americans, he gave them license to lie, to cheat, to say whatever it takes to win, to act on your basis instincts to revel in your racism, greed, misogyny, homophobia, and bigotry. Now, look, all those impulses, this is why leadership is so important. It's what makes democracy so susceptible. All these impulses are inside of everyone. We all have a germ of racism, misogyny, homophobia, anti-Semitism, bigotry, it's, it's in all of us. Uh, we are all capable of lying, cheating, stealing, acting on racist impulses. It's in all of us. Some allow it to rise closer to the surface than others. Those are Republicans. And again, it's okay to have terrible thoughts. We all have terrible thoughts. 
It's not okay to act on them. It's not okay to let them rise to the surface, right? You're supposed to push them down. You know they're wrong, so you push them down. You correct other people's behavior. It's not okay to justify racism or pretend it doesn't exist. But that's what Trump unleashed. Right. They deny that racism exists while celebrating it. He gave the deplorables permission to act on their basest instincts that are in all of us. They deny the teachings of Christ while calling themselves Christian. And that requires a level of stupidity that is so dangerous. A level of stupidity, if you go to a Trump rally, uh, it's impenetrable. You, you cannot get through to these people. Trump makes people stupid. He takes good people and makes them stupid. He takes potentially stupid people and makes them dumber. By stupidity, I mean willful ignorance. Nobody's born stupid. Stupidity is a conscious decision to stop learning, to say, I know what I know, and that's all I need to know. That's what makes you stupid. Okay? People become stupid. I've watched my friends become stupid. They get successful. They get tired. The TV is on. There are no books. And they become stupid. I know enough. When you say I know enough, you're stupid. Rudy Giuliani is fascinating to me. Now, he is, I mean, he can sue me. He'll lose. He's an alcoholic, right? He's a blubbering alcoholic. Racist. A racist mayor of New York City. He was a racist. Uh, but, but, I'm making, I'm not defending him, but remember him on 9-11. Just remember him a 9-11. Uh, a 9-11, he proved that he had a modicum of decency and self-respect. Now, look, again, Rudy Giuliani was always a racist. And he wasn't the smartest guy in the, in the room. He was a prosecutor. He passed the bar, you know. But he was never the smartest guy in the room. He was the most ambitious the joke is the most dangerous place to be in New York City is between Rudy Giuliani and a bank of microphones. He would, you know, sharp elbows and uh, stupid. For example, uh, before 9-11, he put New York City's, he was the mayor of New York City, and he put New York City's terrorism command center inside the World Trade Center, even though the World Trade Center had already been attacked by terrorists. And he was warned, not a good idea to put a uh, terrorism command center uh, in the most likely target for a terrorist attack. But, you know, he didn't listen. So on 9-11, nobody talks about this. New York City had no command center. 
It's one of the reasons there was so much confusion on 9-11. That being said, there is no denying that when it comes to the optics, and the optics are important on 9-11, he rose to the occasion. Okay? While George W. Bush was cowering, Rudy Giuliani, for a brief moment, kept America hopeful and kept the information flowing. He is, was a racist who turned New York City's police loose on black people and the homeless. Bernard Carrick, his police commissioner, is a piece of shit. But on 9-11, he demonstrated that he was capable of doing good in this world. All of us, including Donald, well, maybe not Donald Trump, but everybody but Donald Trump is capable of doing good in this world. This is why leadership and education, you know, getting kids away from their parents and educating them is so important. This is why homeschooling is so dangerous, because everybody is good. Everybody has the potential of being great human beings, but they also, depending on how they're raised and what they're exposed to, they're, they also have the potential to be Donald Trump. And we, we see this with Rudy Giuliani. He showed us a 9-11, he could be a mensch. Uh, all of us are broken, flawed, capable of crimes against humanity. All of us. It's all about leadership. It's all about the context. It's all it's all situational. It's all about what's in front of you. It all depends on where you are and what forces are preying on your morality. Uh, Giuliani. He got bad. He turned bad before Trump got his hands on him. There's no question. Tr Giuliani was corrupted before he ever spell, fell under the spell of Donald Trump. But Donald Trump, Donald Trump turned up all the dials on Giuliani's venality and made him far worse than he already was, because that's what Donald Trump does. That's what these type of leaders, these demagogues do. They, they turn up all the dials on somebody's venality. Look at Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham was never a great man. Never. But he knew to pretend to have a shred of decency. And sometimes pretending, uh, pretending to have a shred of decency while you're palling around with John McCain is a lot better than Lindsey Graham today playing golf with Donald Trump. He fell under the spell of Donald Trump and Donald Trump turned up all the dials on Lindsay's venality to make him worse. John McCain, not a fan of John McCain's. Not, but John McCain was able to turn the dials up on Lindsay's decency, or at least turn up the dials that make it look like you're decent. But 
demagogues like Donald Trump have a very special skill to bring out the worst in people. Like Jeffrey Epstein, Donald Trump is a predator who can zero in on somebody's weakness and then lie to them, charm them, cater to their vices. Keep doing it till you get them doing things that only weeks ago would seem completely unimaginable to that person. We are all susceptible. You can do that to a person or you can do it to a country. And that there's really nothing to inoculate a democracy from people like Donald Trump or Mussolini or Hitler. There's nothing to inoculate us from this kind of charm, this kind of spell that they're capable of placing on stupid people. All of us, especially me, are susceptible to being charmed, seduced, manipulated into acting against our better angels. If somebody tells me I'm funny, uh, who do you want me to shoot? <laughs> where, where, where do you want me to go? You think I'm funny? Really? Who do you want me to kill? Uh, that's not true. But, you know, we all can be played and countries can be played, uh, especially when the country is getting increasingly stupid as ours is. And again, by stupid, I mean willful ignorance. People aren't born stupid. They become stupid including people who are really smart, especially people who are really smart. Stupid isn't a low IQ. IQ means nothing. They're racially biased the same way the SATs are. That's why, that's why the SATs don't count anymore and the IQ tests don't count. It was invented by white people uh, to to perpetuate phony race science. IQ means nothing. There's no such thing as a stupid person. People become stupid. There's no such thing as a person who is born stupid. People become stupid when they stop. That is stupid. Stupid is reading one book and proclaiming, well, that's all I need to know. And then you just shut down whatever information that runs counter to that one book you read. There are Repu like Paul Ryan. There are Republicans who read the Fountainhead, who read Ayn Rand's Fountainhead. And they go, that's it. Well, I'm done with books. Everything's in the Fountainhead. Nothing else to know. That's stupid. There are Americans who read the New Testament or the Old Testament and they say, well, that's it. I'm done with reading. I don't need to know anymore. Right. I know a lot of Jewish people who have brothers, usually brothers, who uh, were troubled, broken, and they they become ultra orthodox Jews and they only read one book and they're stupid. They're stupid. They cloak themselves in righteousness and think they're close to God. I love telling, like, I just love telling them how stupid they are and their rabbi is. That's the great thing about being Jewish and having friends who have troubled brothers who read one book 
I get to tell them how stupid they are. If you're reading one book, if you're just reading the Old Testament or the New Testament and nothing else, you're stupid. Deeply religious people, you know, they're all stupid. They block the world out. That makes you stupid. There are men and women who become lawyers and they pass the bar and they're bright. And then they immediately go from being bright and smart to stupid. I pass the bar. I am done. Now it's time for me to just make money. I'll never have to read again. Uh, people become stupid. Harvard graduates become stupid. Most Harvard graduates are stupid because they're done. They got their degree. Learning new things, that's hard. I graduated from Harvard. I'll just steer every uh, con any conversation that I ever have. I'll just steer it towards my senior thesis on Faulkner. Because I stopped after Harvard because it's too hard to keep learning new things. The dumbest people in the world graduated from Harvard. Stupidity becomes entrenched. A stupid person will never, they can't admit what they don't know. And why should they? Because they are convinced that if they don't know it, then it's not worth knowing. We know people like this. We know we have brothers and sisters we have friends who have credentials. And once they get their credentials, they stop learning and become stupid. If, if I don't know it, it's not worth knowing. And the Republican Party has always been the party of stupid running candidates who would never dare to tell Republican voters something that the Republican voters didn't already think they knew. Right. Again, stupidity is not how you were born or to whom you were born. It's not education level. Stupidity is a refusal to learn willful ignorance. I'm done here. I'm watching TV. I went to Harvard. Leave me alone. I don't need to learn anymore. And the reason this country is in so much trouble is because so many Americans have become stupid. It's okay to be stupid. Jimmy Dore, right? Joe Rogan, Jason Aldean. There is a career path now in stupidity, right? You know, in comedy, it's funny to be stupid. And these guys, uh, they, they, they get they start making money being stupid. And then all of a sudden they think, hey, I must be smart. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's it, it takes a level of intelligence to convince an audience that you're stupid. But uh, when you start trying to be smart in front of your audience, it doesn't work. You're just stupid. It's what happened to Dennis Miller. Uh, and it's what's happening to Bill Maher. Bill Maher used to be brilliant. Doesn't read anymore. He's stupid. 
Bill Maher became stupid. One of the brightest people on television. Stop reading. I know what I know. Bill Maher, stupid. It's okay in America to be stupid. It's entrenched now. And this is dangerous. I know what I know. And for you to tell me otherwise, if you, I know what I know. If you tell me something that I don't know, that challenges what I know, you're insulting who I am. That's why when you present evidence to a stupid Republican that lowering taxes for the rich doesn't balance the budget, right? Supply side economics. You talk to a Republican. They're all stupid. If you talk to a Republican and you say, here, here are the charts. Here it is right in front of you. Lowering taxes for the rich increases the deficit. It doesn't balance the budget. That's a lie. Look at this. Seven and a half trillion dollars of our thirty three trillion dollar debt was created by Donald Trump. Look at this. You can see it. He passes this enormous tax cut for the wealthy. And look what happens to our debt. Seven and a half trillion dollars. And they will literally say. I believe what I believe. I know what I know. And when you say, no, no, but look, what you know is wrong. They say, that's your opinion. That's your opinion. But that's not my opinion. These are these are facts from the Congressional Budget Office. Well, they're biased. Right. That's part of the fascist authoritarian playbook. Take independent government agencies and convince stupid people that independent government agencies are unreliable sources of information. Independent, you know, the General Accounting Office, an inspector general, uh, the Congressional Budget Office. These these are bipartisan, non-political, sacred government agencies. But when you show a Republican, look, Donald Trump is responsible for almost what a quarter, one third of the U.S. debt because he raised taxes for the. He lowered taxes for the wealthy. I don't trust those numbers. Okay. Where did this start? It was always there in America. There's always been a a strain of anti-intellectualism in America. Uh, But it was never celebrated. Uh, Stupidity was never celebrated at the level it got celebrated, began to get celebrated. Until Ronald Reagan was elected president. It really started with Ronald Reagan. It was the perfect confluence of everybody watching television, everyone beginning to stop reading. And when the greatest generation started to believe, you know what? We're great. I don't want to pay any more taxes. Although, as Harvey J.K. has pointed out, the greatest generation didn't vote for uh, Ronald Reagan. It was young, young, stupid baby boomers who fell for Ronald Reagan. Professor Harvey J.K. has uh, statistics that show that the greatest generation 
who went off and fought Nazis, they saw right through Ronald Reagan, who didn't fight Nazis. He was wearing a uniform in Culver City, making uh, films for the army. This all started with Reagan. Now, Ronald Reagan was stupid. I'm not saying that at one time he didn't have tremendous brain power because he did. You know, he he was brilliant as an actor, as a sportscaster, as a, you know, as a turncoat union official who named names. He was no idiot. I'm saying he became stupid. He became willfully ignorant in the 1950s when his acting career dried up and he was forced to take jobs like being a spokesperson for General Electric. And it was then he realized that parroting ultra right wing pro business talking points about smaller government and Medicare being the very first thing the communists do, the first thing the communists do when they take over is give you free health care. Uh, he learned that if you parrot those talking points, you make money. Reagan was once a Roosevelt Democrat, but he married Nancy, second wife, and they needed to pay the bills. And he just allowed himself through willful ignorance to fall under the sway of far right extremists, borderline crypto John Birchers who pumped him full of paleo conservative talking points. And he became stupid. He just stopped learning. He just read index cards that were put in front of him. And if he didn't know something, he just lied, just made shit up and he got away with it because if you're making money for the rich and the powerful they find ways to come to your defense right he said well what do you say trees are the number one cause of greenhouse gases uh if you're making money for the oil companies they'll they'll find a way to make that sound reasonable so by the time ronald reagan was elected president he was willfully ignorant. He was stupid. And he just repeated lies about big government, welfare, queens and taxes. And he made it OK for others to be stupid. Right. You could see it in our culture. Right. You know, Michael Jackson, it's like it was OK not to grow up. The Peter Pan syndrome we celebrated men who were still children it, it it you know it became okay to collect for grown men to collect baseball cards he infantilized uh, adults and you know and, and and movies became stupid they became less about real things and you know more i don't want to get into it but it poisoned our culture just let's be stupid. It's OK. Uh, and smart Americans stopped learning. They said, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to accumulate wealth now. I'm, I'm going to travel. I'm going to work. I don't have time to learn or read. I want to make money and spend money. And when you do that, you become stupid. 
And I'm older than most of you. And I watched my friends become stupid. I saw myself tempted to become stupid. The problem is I just wasn't successful because I'm telling you, I would have given it all up <laughs> for success. <laughs> you know, uh, just reading catalogs instead of the New Republic, right? Should we buy this car, honey, or this car? Or you read the New Republic. I'm a failure, so I have to read the New Republic. Uh, but you really do become stupid if you're just reading catalogs. Uh, I've seen friends, I've seen like heroes, you know, cultural heroes become stupid. Bill Maher, Dennis Miller, they became stupid. And no matter what you present to them in the way of evidence, it doesn't matter. I know what I know. But what do you know is wrong? Right? Doesn't matter. Really? Because I could show you that raising, the taxes are getting raised here. Reagan is actually raising taxes. He's just not raising them on the rich. Hey, I know what I know. He lowered taxes. You know, there's a mythology around Ronald Reagan that he left office incredibly popular, the most popular president in, in American history. He left office, you know, his, his approval rating was okay. You know, but you look at the eight years, he was underwater. His approval rating was underwater. He, you know, when he first became president, we had the worst recession uh, since the Korean War. Dub double digit unemployment because of his economic policies. He was underwater. His approval rating was underwater. After Contragate, his approval rate, he, he was not as popular as the the. People who people as Republicans want us to believe. Uh, but doesn't matter. You, you tell a Republican that Reagan wasn't so popular, they'll say, I know what I know. That's stupidity. And Reagan made it OK to be stupid, to deny the truth. I will never forget how Ronald Reagan avoided impeachment or being forced to resign after Contragate. Uh, I don't have time to relitigate Contragate. You should study it. It's really important. It's worse than Watergate. It's one of the worst things in American presidents. One of the worst. Contragate is one of the worst things an American president ever did. Uh, and I will never forget how he got away with it. It was kind of like a one of those star. These are not the droids you're looking for thing. I mean, he, the way he got out of it uh, was brilliant. Uh, he lied to the American people. He went on national television right after Contragate broke. And he said, we did not swap arms for hostages. Right. And he insisted, I did not disobey Congress. Uh, I did not give funds to the Contras. Uh he lied. And it is illegal to swap arms for hostages. It's illegal to fund the Contras. There, were, there was the I think it was the Boland Amendment, it, which specifically said no arms for the Contras. Reagan defied, broke the law. He should have been impeached. He should have been forced to resign. It was horrible. 
he was caught lying to the American people, disobeying Congress. He should have been removed from office. But here's how he got out of it. And this is when I knew it was over. He went on national television and said, a few months ago, I told the American people that I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that is true, but the facts and evidence tell me it is not. And that was the end of it. He got away with it. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that is true, but the facts and evidence tell me it is not. Every stupid Republican, every big name pundit went on television. And they said, well, you know, his heart and his best intentions still tell him that he didn't trade arms for hostages. So he wasn't lying. We need to give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, he wasn't going on facts and evidence. He was going on his heart and best intentions. Well, well hold, hang on for one second. He, he, he said the facts and evidence tell him that he lied and that he did trade arms for hostages. That doesn't matter. We have to listen to his heart and his best intentions, which told him otherwise. That's when I went, OK, the, the stupid have won. Reagan made it OK for leaders to be stupid, to ignore facts and evidence and say that my heart and my best intentions say otherwise. Try that in a court of law. This is why indictments and prosecuting these MFers are so important, because a jury goes with facts and evidence, not with your heart and your best intentions. But George W. Bush got away with it. He invaded the wrong country, one million dead Iraqis. He was presented with facts and evidence that Iraq was not behind 9-11. He was presented with facts and evidence that he had no weapons, that Saddam had no weapons of mass destruction. So the same way Donald Trump was presented with evidence that there was no voter fraud, he went out and found people who were willing to manufacture evidence of voter fraud, right? Sidney Powell, uh, Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis. Doesn't matter what the facts and evidence are. I need to prove voter fraud. Find me the evidence. Everybody knew that there was there were no weapons of mass destruction that Iraq was not behind 9-11. And Cheney and Bush said, I don't care what the facts and evidence are. Get me some. Get me evidence that prove that I'm not lying. He lied and ruined America. It was the worst foreign policy blunder in the history of America. He's a war criminal. It's why we would never join the International Criminal Court, because he would be frog marched before it. George W. Bush, worst president ever. But if you ask him about Iraq, he'll tell you, well, my heart and my best intentions say otherwise. If I sat him down and said, you lied about 9-11, you knew Saddam Hussein was not behind 9-11, you knew he didn't have weapons of mass destruction. 
Well, my heart and my best intentions told me otherwise. Well, why didn't you listen to uh, the CIA, Valerie Plame's husband? Well, my heart, my best intentions say otherwise. And that allows people to be stupid and literally get away with murder. Millions of people died because George W. Bush gets away with saying, eh, my heart and my best intentions tell me otherwise. Forget facts and evidence. We're stupid. We go on a man's heart and best intentions. Much more important in ascertaining the truth. Unless you're George Floyd, who, when somebody accuses you of passing a counterfeit 20, uh, it's a knee on your neck until you die. We don't care about your best intentions or what your heart says. By the way, have we ever found out if the $20 bill was counterfeit? Because that's what started it all. He was accused of passing a $20 bill. So stupid people, willful ignorance, the willfully ignorant are killing this country the same way they killed Germany, Italy. Right. The willfully ignorant. It's when it's when it when it's in your best financial interest not to know something. That's when democracies crumble. Fox News, Jim Jordan, AM Talk Radio, every Republican politician now, Kellyanne Conway, right? Willfully ignorant. Sarah Huckabee, who's now the governor of Arkansas. Uh, Ron DeSantis, Lindsey Graham. These are all people who have become stupid and they lie. And when they lie, they create a contagion of stupidity. Which is why we have to prosecute Trump. You have this is really our last chance. What's coming up, these indictments right now, it's uh, it's not about whether or not he gets reelected. I think Biden, I think Biden's safe. I think Biden beats Trump. But if we don't lock Trump up and prosecute him, uh, it's it's going to keep the door wide open for more stupid demagogues to prey on the stupid and create more stupid people. You have to make stupidity illegal. I'm going to end with the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I know I'm mispronouncing his last name. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor and dissident in Nazi Germany who somehow made it all the way to the waning days of uh, Nazi Germany until he was hanged. At the very end, he was accused of being part of the plot to uh, assassinate Hitler. Uh, he, he lasted. He saw the rise and almost saw the fall of Nazi Germany, or you see, you know, by then, by the time he got hanged, he, he saw what was happening. I don't know enough about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm probably not pronouncing his last name, but I stumbled across a quote of his on the Daily Kos yesterday. It's a quote about stupid people. 
and stupidity. And I went to the primary source, and this is what he wrote as a Nazi dissident who witnessed firsthand the rise of fascism in a democracy. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer writing about uh, stupidity and stupid people. It's pretty incredible. He writes, stupidity is a more dangerous enemy of the good than malice. One may protest against evil. It can be exposed and, if need be, prevented by use of force. Evil always carries within itself the germ of its own subversion in that it leaves behind in human beings at least a sense of unease. So he's saying that there's a difference between stupidity and evil. He said that evil eventually gets exposed. You can defeat evil by going to war with it. And inside evil is always a germ of its own self-destruction uh, because human beings deep down know this is evil. They're behaving evil in an evil way, and they subconsciously undermine what they're trying to accomplish. So evil, he says, you can deal with stupidity. You can't. He goes on to write against stupidity. We are defenseless. Neither protests nor the use of force accomplish anything here. Reasons fall on deaf ears. Facts that contradict one's prejudgment simply not need not be believed. In such moments, the stupid person even becomes critical. And when facts are irrefutable, the stupid people are just they just push the facts aside and call them inconsequential. They call them incidental. I'm trying to clean up the translation here because it's a little stilted. He goes on to write, In all this, the stupid person, in contrast to the malicious one, is utterly self-satisfied and, being easily irritated, becomes dangerous by going on the attack. For that reason, greater caution is called for than with a malicious one. Never again will we try to persuade the stupid person with reasons, for it is senseless and dangerous. So he's saying that there are evil people and there are stupid people. The problem with stupid people vis-a-vis -vis evil people is that stupid people are self-satisfied and they are prone to anger and they are more dangerous they're more like a stupid person is more likely to lash out than just somebody who's purely evil. If we want to know how to get the better of stupidity, we must seek to understand its nature. This much is certain that it is in essence, not an intellectual defect, but a human one. He's saying that a stupid person, you're not intellectually defective Stupidity, we're all capable of becoming stupid. He goes on to write, there are human beings who are of remarkably agile intellect, yet stupid, and others who are intellectually quite dull, yet anything but stupid. It's amazing.
We discovered this to our surprise in particular situations. The impression one gains is not so much that stupidity is a congenital defect, but that under certain circumstances, people are made stupid or that they allow this to happen to them. Under certain circumstances, people are made stupid or they allow this to happen to them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. How do you deal with stupidity? You look at the Trump rally. Trump is evil and stupid. The people in his audience are stupid, willfully stupid and prone to violence. How do you deal with this? To be continued. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. How do we deal with this contagion of stupidity? I don't know. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had some ideas. Um, stupid people are more dangerous, he says, than just evil people. They're more, they're more prone to violence. Uh, impenet they're impenetrable. There's, you cannot present evidence to a stupid person. So is it worth trying to argue with these people, people, some, uh, some of my listeners are saying, why aren't you talking about the, the Hunter Biden? Because it's stupid. It, this is just manufactured. It's like voter fraud. Why, why dignify it? I don't know. But then if you ignore stupid people, you do it at your own peril because one day you wake up and they're knocking on your door. I don't know. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak.